praise team from downtown on Saturday. So thank you guys so much for sharing. It's kind of a, just a sweet adventure to see what God's doing in so many different lives. Uh, and also, you know, I'm excited to see like the Vikings jerseys around here. And, and uh, so I, I, yeah, my, I got a text from my daughter who lives by Seattle and uh, she wanted to see if we were doing the 11 o'clock service if I was DVR in the game because she said, Dad, I don't want to call you after we've won and wreck the game for you. So she was going to wait till later to call me. So thanks, Claire. I appreciate that. <clears throat> but uh, you know, it, it's exciting to me just to see uh, uh, what God's doing in our lives. And God is on a mission. And God is the one who impacts culture. He impacts your culture. Uh, Really, it's just kind of your way of life. Almighty God is impacting your life. And so do you ever stop and just ask, what's he up to? I mean, really, like, what are you doing in my life, God? And, and so I encourage you to take a few minutes uh, and, and do that. And it's amazing what you think. You know, for, for us, as we come into 2016, it's such a different year than it has ever been in my past. I'm kind of this vision guy, and I'm always looking into the future. And uh, 2015 comes along and find out you have cancer, and, and uh, they say it's terminal. Only God knows what that means and how soon that means. But um, it, it's one of those things that we're facing uh, a lot of challenges, and yet through that, it's amazing how God has just impacted our lives. And how God uh, is really moving in our lives and keeping us uh, planted into today as we walk through this day. And you know, the truth is, I know many of you are going through struggles that are much more challenging than mine. And, uh, and, and it's amazing that we can come into these, these, these moments because we all have these times in our lives that just stretch us and we can kind of stop and see what God's doing. Um, I, I just want to start with Psalm 139. And in the New Living Translation, just... To, Often we talk about the psalm regarding, um, you know, a pro-life perspective, but I want you to just think about the psalm, just listen to it from your perspective with your God, your creator. And the psalmist says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand, and when I wake up, you're still with me. And it's been an incredible, peaceful journey uh, this year for me uh, and this past year and, and each and every year when I stop and just consider that every day of my life was recorded in his book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And how freeing that is for every single one of us that God just knows and that we have this limited opportunity on this earth to just walk with our Father and to watch him move. And it, it's just an incredible privilege. The psalmist is just saying that, that God is always here, that God is always present, that God knows that he's intimately acquainted with your ways and your thoughts, and that he cares, but he'll never leave you. And, and yet we have this enemy 
Satan, who's a deceiver and the accuser. And we kind of see it in the scriptures, all through the scriptures, from Genesis, uh, you know, deceiving them to doubt God's goodness, you surely won't die, all the way to Revelation, where he's accusing the brethren uh, on a regular basis before the throne. And yet we fail to see that this enemy is still working in our lives, and he deceives us so often. He deceives us to think it's okay to covet, really to desire what everybody else has because we live in America and then when we lust after their stuff and we lust after their lifestyle and we try and grab these things for ourselves, then he accuses us of a sin that can't be forgiven you see our enemy deceives us to think it's okay to have sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman and then after the fact he accuses us of never being able to be right with God again and forever that relationship is tainted he deceives us to envy another and want their position or, or wish they would lose it. And, and, you know, we think in our minds and we justify these things and think, you know, you know what they did. You know what they said. You know what they don't do as well as I do. And, and then we pursue this action against them or, or even if it's in our heart where we slander them and, and all of a sudden then Satan is there to accuse us and try and get us to doubt if we're even really believers. Russell Moore says this, no one is more pro-choice than the devil on the way to the abortion clinic and no one is more pro-life than the devil on the way out. You see, I think we lose sight of that fact that he deceives us and he accuses us and he deceives us to somehow think that God doesn't care or that God doesn't have the power to act or he accuses us that we've sinned too greatly, we've messed up too much of our lives, there's no room for God's grace and his mercy. And sometimes he deceives us into thinking we really don't need to repent because it's not that big of a deal. And a lot of people do a lot worse things than I do. Or else he accuses us that says there's no hope for mercy. That was too huge. You just messed up your opportunity to walk with God. And my selfish desires give the devil a foothold in my life. So does the unforgiveness. But last week, Bill did WWSD, and it was like, what would Satan do? And I immediately thought, what would Steve do, you know? And uh, for me, it's like, in the flesh, what am I capable of doing? It's, it's, it's terrible. And yet, the title of this message is, is God's plan or mine. And I think it's something that every single one of us uh, really gets to wrestle with. Do you really want God's plan for your life, or do you want yours? And often, uh, they're not the same. Often, they're not the same. We're uh, looking at how God uses each of us to engage the culture. And we, we kind of established, and I don't think it's too big a stretch for us to realize that the Christian church is not the center of the culture of America. It's kind of on the margins at best, really in the whites of the pages. And, and sadly, but, but also truthfully, that's, that's the case for many of our individual lives. Um, God's kind of in the margins. And we believe maybe in Jesus Christ. We, have, we aren't really ready to surrender to him. We kind of still want our own way, our own plan, our own way of making things work out rather than his plan. And uh, if people ask about your faith or looked at our lives and saw our faith, they may say, well, you know, you believe, but most of your life is consumed with your plan, not, not trying to discern God's. You see, we're deceived, and we're also accused. 
And honestly, I think when you strip it away, we just don't trust God's plan. You know, we just don't trust God's purpose for us. We trust ourselves to know what's best, right? Uh, We doubt that God is really good, that he has really good plans for us, that he knows the desires of our hearts, that he wants to grant us the desires of our hearts beyond what we can even imagine. He's doing something in our lives way beyond anything we can even grasp. And, And so we think that our way is the best way. And here God is really rocking our world in America and he's always rocking our world. And what I see in so many faces is fear. And to me it's just because so many of our idols are threatened. So many things that we have decided are ultimate are under attack. And all of a sudden we're concerned about the future of our economy. We kind of had this retirement thing laid out and God stripped it all away or maybe he will. We are threatened by our way of life and our security and the things that we we can hold on to. We're threatened by the terrorists, and yet there's always terrorists. Always has been since the fall. Uh, We're threatened by our health or what's going to happen to our kids, what's going to go on in the future. And we're convinced that somehow we can't be okay without our plans and without the things that we have decided are most important being played out the way we think they should be played out. And so I just want you to stop and realize we're deceived. God is on the throne. He's not stressed about what's going on in our world today. We're in Christ as believers. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, here's your opportunity to turn to him and trust him. Because if you don't, then I would definitely be afraid. Because that's all we got to hold on to is the things of this world. And they're not very secure. But really, God desires that you follow his plan and not yours for how to live. And I'll tell you why. Because it's best for you. His ways are ways of grace and mercy and righteousness. And ours aren't. And so we can surrender to him. We're looking at this life of Joseph. If you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis 40 today. Uh, first book of the Bible. And... and and, and we're just kind of considering how God really can use us to engage culture. He certainly used Joseph in his day. But if you just remember to kind of to catch up as a background to figure out where we are, as Joseph's father, of course, was Jacob. He was a deceiver. Chiseler is what his name meant, deceiver. And, and of course, he spent a large portion of his life trying to receive God's blessings by his own strength. Basically, what he did is he tried to implement his own plans for success rather than God's plans. And ultimately, he came where he wrestled before God. He acknowledged who he was before God. When God asked him his name, he said, I'm Jacob, I'm a deceiver. And and basically, in our terms, he was just saying, I'm a sinner. And so God changes his name to Israel. Uh, God strives or God fights or prince of God. And Jacob, of course, as we've seen, has lived quite a life, right? A couple wives who are sisters, Leah, Rachel. He loves Rachel, not Leah, but Leah is able to have children. In those days, it was the huge thing. So she has six boys and a girl. Rachel's barren, so she has this great idea. I'm going to give my handmaiden, Bilhah, to, to, to my husband, Jacob. And so he ends up having two boys with her. And then Zia, Leah sees that and gives Zilpha and has two boys with her. And finally, Rachel has this son named Joseph, who we're looking at his life. But as we've seen, Joseph grows up and he's got these two wives of his father. His father has two wives and two concubines. So he's dealing with kind of four moms and 11 sons and a daughter. It's just a mess, right? And as I've pointed out before, the daughter was probably the problem. (laughs) Um, But no, I'm sorry. I just have four daughters. So 
and they're not the problem. It's always my fault when you live with five women. It's my fault, okay? <laughs> and I've learned that years ago. It's my fault. And so, but anyway, it's just a messed up family. And here Joseph, he kind of grows up and he's jealous and, or there's jealousy and there's anger and there's rage and bitterness and strife. It's just a messed up family. And, 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 and yet God is moving in that, in, in that life. And God breaks into Joseph's life. He gives him a dream, which is really countercultural, where his father and his mother and his, the brothers all bow down to him, which didn't make any sense. But because of that, his brothers hated him. They're jealous of him. They're bitter, really ultimately against God because they didn't like God's plan, okay? They didn't like God's plan. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be about me, right? If we were in that situation and we would get very frustrated. And God's purpose, though, definitely affects those around us, and his plan affects those around us, um, even those we love, and oftentimes they can't understand it. But here is what's going on. God is moving in a life, and we can't figure out what he's doing. And we are so proud, we often think we're going to understand what the, the creator's doing. And we're not. There's going to be so many things going on beyond our grasp. So, of course, the brothers want to get rid of Joseph. We know the story. Uh, they didn't like that he was favored by his father. They didn't like that he had this dream, right? And they couldn't accept God's plan, and so they sold him as a slave. Ultimately, he ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. Um, he prospers. Potiphar's wife um, tries to seduce Joseph. He runs away, ends up in jail. And so he does the right thing and ends up in jail. And so often, that's what happens to us in some form or another, we think we're walking with God on a pathway that God has chosen for us and it doesn't work out the way we think it should and we start asking why me or we start looking at everybody else around us and think they got it so great and my life is so hard, I just don't understand it. And we can't understand why we got to struggle with all these issues in our world. You know, how, where is God in all this evil? Human trafficking, which is a huge thing in our society. Guess what? Joseph was involved in human trafficking. He was sold as a slave, okay? It, it, sin is sin, and, and there's sins that, that just continue to ripple through, and it doesn't minimize them. It makes them horrible and evil, but God is not evil. And we see this prosperity, and we see this success, and this popularity, and then we see this just devastation and poverty and just this whole sense of mistreatment by our family and by our friends and by our, our fathers from years ago, maybe, or our circumstances, and man, we just want out. And so today you come here, and maybe you just want out of your circumstances. You see, we're all mistreated at times. And at times we all have circumstances, really, frankly, we just hate. And uh, at times we're falsely accused. And at times we're judged unfairly. And at times people let us down. And our reputation comes under attack. And so the very first thing I think we always need to, to grasp when we start to consider our circumstances and our situation is where is God in all this? And in the book of Genesis, chapter 39, we see where the Lord is. As we pick up Joseph in prison, and verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him, he put him in jail. It's a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph. Did you catch that? The Lord was with Joseph. And extended kindness to him, gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for. 
And the chief jailer didn't supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. The Lord was with Joseph. You see, Joseph grew closer to his God during his time in prison. And he thought about God and he kept his eyes on God and he considered what God was doing in his life. And I'm sure there was some things there that he liked okay about being in prison, but there was many things he hated. And I just want you to know, first of all, that Almighty God, your creator, is with you right now. And maybe you're going through one of these adversity trials. Maybe it's a prosperity trial, but just know God is with you right now. And it requires this real change of paradigm for us uh, because we're so trained to be self-centered. And we think we get to determine what's good and what's bad, but we don't. God is good, pure good, ultimate good. All else falls short. But it's almost like, it's almost like we think that the Black Hills is the center of the universe, okay? And so we think if we can just climb Harney Peak, we're gonna get a better view of the universe, right? And the higher you go up Harney Peak, the more you can see. And you get to the top of Harney Peak and you can see for miles and miles and miles. And so from our perspective, the objective is just to, to continue to get higher and higher and higher and be able to understand everything that's going on in our universe, okay? And so it makes sense if the Black Hills is the center of the universe that you climb Harney Peak and you get to the top and you can really see it. But the truth is, we all know the Black Hills is not the center of the universe. It's a piece of dust in the, the scheme of the galaxies, just a grain of sand compared to that. And so are you. And so am I. But we're trained to deal with our challenges just like climbing Harney Peak. We think if we learn more, if we get more, if we just excel more, if we just accomplish more, if we just do more, it's all about me. And if I can just do more and more and more and more, I'm gonna be successful because I'm the center of my universe and everything is about me. But you are not the center of the world, okay? You just think you are and so do I. And until we realize that God is the reference point and not you, you're going to be frustrated by your circumstances. And you're going to be frustrated by other people instead of looking at that as an incredible opportunity that God has brought into our lives. And you're going to be frustrated by friends who let you down instead of looking at it as an opportunity to forgive. And you're going to be frustrated by your family when they don't come through like you think they should or by what others do or don't do. And you see, God uses you to engage culture when you place him in his proper place. And so I just ask you, where is God in your circumstances? Right now. And maybe this is a day to kind of humble yourself and look to him and ask him what he's up to. And as we look at Joseph's life, I want you to kind of walk in the story with Joseph, okay? Walk in the story with Joseph because he's just like you and me. God's plan is in motion. Chapter 40, verse 1 says, it came about after these things, right? After all these things that happened in Joseph's life, he's stuck in jail. As a matter of fact, he's been there almost probably 11 years, okay? He's about 28 years old. He gets out when he's about 30. So here he is all this time, and it came about that the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. 
Now, the cupbearer's job was he was the one who presented the wine to the, to the king, so he was responsible to test that and make sure that he, it wasn't poisoned. And of course, the baker was responsible for the food. And somehow they offended the, 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 the pharaoh. And pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbaker and the chief Bear, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge with them. Now the captain of the bodyguard was uh, Potiphar. You can read that in 39.1. So Potiphar obviously saw something in Joseph still and he puts these guys uh, under Joseph's charge. And Joseph took care of them. They were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came to them the morning and he observed them and behold, they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Now realize this, if there was anyone abandoned by God, it was Joseph. It had to be Joseph, right? I mean, just think about what he's went through, but he wasn't abandoned by God, okay? If there was anyone who had a right to be self-centered and angry and bitter, it was Joseph, but he wasn't. Here he is at the lowest point of his life, and God brings this person, the cupbearer, who will ultimately change his life dramatically, which we know because we know the end of the story, but he doesn't know that. And all of a sudden, God's got this incredible plan moving in these circumstances and in these people. It's not for a couple years, but it's God's timing and his plan is in motion. And here God is working for the salvation of this people, God's people, Israel. And ultimately, he's working through the whole process of sending the Savior, Jesus Christ, to save not only them, but us. It's an amazing plan. And that's what God's doing. His plans are eternal. They're for beyond you and beyond me. And yet he's working in our lives in the scheme of eternity and it's amazing the circumstances we're involved in and the people that are involved in our lives that we can't even see what God's doing. And what's cool about Joseph is he was not focused on himself even though he had every right to be from our perspective. And in verse seven we see, you know what he notices? The pain on their faces. Why are you so sad today? He notices they were in pain. He notices their sadness. So who are the people in your life right now? How does God want to use you to impact eternity? Have you noticed? No, he's working. No, he's here. No, his plan is in motion. And then we got to learn to just trust him above all. That's really what we see in Joseph. In verse 8, it goes on, and, and they said to Joseph, we have this dream. There's no one here to interpret. Joseph said, well, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. The very first thing he does is, is, is looks to God. And the chief cupbearer tells his dream to Joseph, and he said, well, in my dream, there was a vine in front of me, and the vine, there were three branches. It was budding. Its blossoms came out. Its clusters produced ripe grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes. I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, well, this is the interpretation. Three branches, three days. Three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. He will store you to your office. You will be put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to your former custom when you were the cupbearer. And then Joseph goes on and he says this, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh to get me out of this house. 
Okay, for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I, I have done nothing that should have put me in this dungeon. Now, now realize a, a couple things here. First of all, that God is involved in the dreams in the story of Joseph. Um, God doesn't always speak in dreams. Matter of fact, they're pretty insignificant in the history of the Bible, thousands of years, 1600 actually, that it covers of history and only really in three places are the dreams significant, uh, really prominent here in Daniel and also in Matthew. And there's visions, Peter had a vision, John had a vision on Patmos. But most dreams probably are not revelations from God. Um, even though you might think your dream was. Probably not because we have the complete canon of scripture and God does speak through his word. And so that's what Joseph did. He immediately looked to God. Okay, in verse eight he said, these interpretations belong to God. But realize this, just because you look to God, just because you trust God, just because you know God is here, doesn't mean you can't have a plan that involves other people. Joseph has a plan. He's like, hey, remember me. Keep me in mind when you get out of here. You're gonna be successful. You're gonna be back in Pharaoh's palace next to Pharaoh. Remember me, okay? It's okay to have a plan. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to plan for the future. Where we get in trouble is when we trust our plan instead of God. So it's okay to have a plan, but trust God overall. Give God the glory and the honor and the credit and not other people because they'll let you down, but your God never will. And so just kind of bring this home to your life and just think about Joseph's situation. You know how unfairly he was treated, as many of you have been. And he looks to God and he honors God. And, and we think, guess what? When you do that, that's gonna lead to great success. And it doesn't. <laughs> Because the truth is, I really believe God's purpose or plan for us is not to have great success on this earth. Sorry. Matter of fact, it's often just the opposite. You see, we're looking for some end of success that we've defined as success. We've defined as prosperity. But what God is looking for is obedience along the way. He's looking for us to surrender to him and count on him every moment whether we're going through adversity or prosperity. Success is dependence on him and obedience to him. So just look for God in your situation. Know his plans on, <laughs> it's moving and it's beyond what you can grasp. And just trust him, surrender to him and realize that really Jesus is the way. <laughs> he is the way. And we'll see how I kind of get this out of here. <laughs> But when the chief cup baker saw, the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, this verse 16, he says to Joseph, well, here's my dream. There are three baskets of white bread on my head and in the top basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh and the birds were eating them out of my head, out of the basket on my head. And Joseph said, well, there's the interpretation. Three baskets, three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh's gonna lift up your head and he will lift up your head from you and he will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. That's a cool picture, huh? <laughs> Joseph didn't say, hey, remember me, you know, when you get out. Sorry. <laughs> Somehow that wasn't his plan, you know. There's a limit to our plans. That wasn't his plan. And it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. He lifted up the head of the chief cupbaker and the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbaker to his office. And he put the cup into Pharaoh's hands and he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said. And yet the chief cupbaker 
cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. He forgot him. And can you imagine how excited Joseph must have been, right? Here's my way out. I've been faithful to this guy. I've paid attention to this guy. I've listened to God. God showed me the interpretation of the dream. The guy's gonna go before Pharaoh. He's gonna remember me. This is the way out. I've heard from God I obeyed him. This must be God's plan to set me free. But he forgot Joseph for two full years. Chapter 41, verse one tells us, two full years. And you can imagine him looking toward the door every time it opened at first, thinking, man, this is my ticket out of here, right? For a while. And uh, then probably for a while, he kind of got disturbed by that. But God was maturing Joseph. He was preparing him to be used to save a people, God's people. This line that would eventually lead to the true savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That's what God was about. It was way beyond what Joseph could imagine. And I believe somewhere along the line, Joseph quit looking for the way out and he trusted God right where he was. And instead of thinking about how he could get revenge on his brothers and on Potiphar and Potiphar's wife and this cupbearer, instead he focused on his father. And really we know that because when the opportunity came, when he had the power to wipe them all out and get revenge, instead he said, am I in the place of God? Right, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. He had learned to forgive and put his focus on his father. And so really, as we land this thing, ask yourself, what prison are you in now? What circumstances have trapped you? You know, maybe it's financial. It's a common thing in our country. Maybe it's a relationship, a marriage, something with kids, something with family, something with friends. Maybe it's something you're still stinging from. Maybe you're really going through prosperity, but you're just bored with your Christian life. That's a prison. It's a trap. This discouragement. And I just offer the opportunity for us to surrender to him and to look at every situation and every purpose and every person as an opportunity to see God work. God's plan for you is to depend on him, to rely on his power right now. Not someday, right now. So rather than looking for a way out of your circumstance, look for a way to bring Christ in. And you think, well, how do you do that? Well, I don't have an answer to that. I know that every single one of us walks through these issues and we walk through these times of our lives. And I'll tell you right now, we're facing all kinds of things uh, regarding just cancer and where it's at in my body and, and what's going on there. And, and the simple thing for me to bring Christ in is to simply come open-handed moment by moment and say, God, I trust you. God, I, I know your plans are good. Father, I know that this is not my home, that I have a home in heaven which is incredibly greater than here, but I like it here. And I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do, Father. Just bring glory to yourself through my life as we walk this out day by day. And and it becomes that simple no matter what we're walking through. And we're all in all different circumstances and they're no greater or worse than anybody else's. It's just an opportunity that God is working in our lives for him to be glorified. And when we glorify him, it's amazing how he uses us to engage those around us, to engage the culture. 
So as we land this thing, just apply it to yourselves. Realize that God is with you. This is about him, not about you. And we hear that. We talk about that a lot. And we remember that until a few hours from now. And uh, then it's back about me. Uh, and, and, uh, but it's about him. And you can trust him. And you can trust Jesus Christ. He will never let you down. He's the only way to experience eternal life, knowing God, what life is all about. And realize that God is training you for today to depend on him. It's really what we're, we're wired for for eternity. So right now in your circumstances, you have the opportunity to trust God moment by moment, walking with him. Open-handed saying, God, I'm gonna trust your plan and not mine. Here's my plan. If it doesn't work out the way I think it should, I'm gonna trust that you're moving in some other way and I'm just gonna walk with you. We only have this little limited time here. And, and, and how are you living? You know, is it in fear for the future? Is it in fear for the past? Or are you just walking in this moment with our God? So as we close, I want to read Psalm 139 again. And I want you to take it as a, a message David penned, but a message that God penned for you. And just make this personal for you. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Thank you, God, that you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. Thank you, God, that I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Thank you, God, that you saw me before I was even born. Thank you that every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They can't even be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Father, I just thank you that you are God that you are good, <laughs> that you are with each and every one of us here in profound ways. And so I pray right now, God, that you would break through the circumstances of every life here and that they would see you. If they've never given their life to you, I pray that this would be the moment that we would just surrender to you and say, God, I give up. I want to trust you as my Savior and Lord. And for those of us who know you, may we just offer up our circumstances and our situations and, and the people in our lives to you and say, God, walk with me. I want your plan, not mine. I want to see you move. I want to see you glorified. I want to have an eternal perspective. And so, Father, I pray even now mostly that each person that is here, that hears these words, would leave knowing that you absolutely love them and that you're on the throne and you're in control and your plan is working beautifully. In Jesus' name, amen.